it makes it easy to get yourself easier to get yourself into trouble. You know, you download somebody's GPX track and put it on your phone and start following it, and bad things can happen. Um, and especially bad things can happen if your phone dies, the battery dies, or whatnot. Welcome back to the Fastest Known Podcast. Every Friday, 30 minutes of interesting information you can't get anywhere else. And we have a special podcast today. We're going to talk about the gear of the decade and the coming decade. And to talk about this, we have the all-star lineup here. We have the entire FKT crew. I'll introduce them individually, starting with Peter Backman. Thanks for being here, Peter. Hello again. Nice to be with you. And, of course, our esteemed sound engineer, who's normally up there in that soundproof control booth, fiddling with the dials. But here, right down here on the ground floor, we have Craig Randall. Thanks for having me. It's uh, good to be on the side of the microphone. And a voice you have never heard before, the person who actually does all the work and is responsible for the entire website and everything that we do, our tech person, Jeff Schuler, who also is two minutes away from his marathon PR of 2.30. All of that was untrue. Uh, I'm three <laughs> minutes away. I was on one of the early podcasts just oh, like for a moment. But hi, Buds. It's great to be here. <laughs> oh, three minutes. Well, your, your credibility is. you, you got a lot of work to do here, i got Jeff. a lot of work to do. <laughs> okay, this is going to be interesting. We're going to just review the decade in terms of what gear helped FKTers. This isn't a climbing gear. This isn't backpacking. This is for FKTs. And who wants to volunteer something? What really helped you out? Well, why didn't you start, Buzz? Okay, well, here's what I... Thank you, Peter. What? Here's a couple things that I thought really moved the needle. The Garmin Mini, you know, the PLB, the personal locator beacon, started off as being sort of this strange thing, you know, real you know, Arctic adventurers used it. And then it evolved. You know, the, uh, there were different iterations. And then once, you know, Spot was, I owned the Spot and I owned the big DeLorme. But Garmin kind of consolidated it. And when they got the Mini, it weighs three and a half ounces. It syncs with your smartphone. So instead of these microscopic little buttons, you could send and receive actual text messages through satellite network by typing things into your smartphone. So I think the Garmin Mini was just amazing. Yeah, all those PLB things, but particularly the the ability to do two-way um, satellite texting is huge. And then just to add on to that, I'd say there's a whole bunch of um, tracking options that are based on cell technology that will work in a lot of places like Europe or the Northeast where you have cell coverage everywhere. So that kind of technology, yeah, I agree, it's a... It's a game changer. Well, what technology works best if you just for cell phones if you have coverage? Well, I don't. I haven't reviewed them all. So uh, from time to time, people submit FKTs using these technologies. Like um, we had uh, actually Carol Carol Sabe when he did the Appalachian Trail used um, Legends tracking, I believe it was, which was based on cell technology, and that would um, even buffer his tracking points until it came into cell range and then download them. And a lot of people are using these in Europe in particular, where you have cell coverage almost everywhere. Interesting. Never heard of that. But check out the Garmin Mini. That's not that expensive, and they really are mini. And a quick non-disclaimer, we're not affiliate. We have no affiliate links. So when we suggest a piece of gear, we get nothing. Zippo out of it. Well, I'm going to just keep going the same track, if you don't mind. 
I'm going to mention Cal Topo and Gaia, the, yeah. the one-two punch here, which is just crazy. This fellow invented Cal Topo, you know, in his bedroom or something, and it's extraordinarily useful bit of uh, mapping software. That's C-A-L-T-O-P-O, in case you haven't seen it, go check it out. And you can create any route that you want with his maps, with his uh, software, and then download it into your phone and then track your own uh, created route just with perfect accuracy. And you could annotate it. You can put water sources on it. You can put anything else you want on it. And then the one-two punch, of course, is Gaia. G-A-I-A, and that goes on your smartphone. And with that, you just download maps in advance, and then it's just using the satellite. You don't have to have cell phone coverage, and you could track your course to within five meters or so anywhere in the world. So that's a big one for me. And actually, uh, CalTopo, I think last month, introduced um, new high-resolution digital elevation models, so you can see better hill shading down to, like, the meter or something like this, um, so that's that's through lidar. So lidar might be gear of the gear of the decade, like uh, what is it light or laser imaging detection and, and ranging, something like that. It's like radar but with lasers. So satellites and drone drones can uh, pulse lasers down to the earth and get you know the the light bounces back and they get super high accurate. Um, measurements of, of how, how high the ground is. So it's different than GPS. Totally. Oh, yeah. Wow. So you're getting, you're getting elevation model. So, you're, you know, when you're using Caltopa, you can see um, topographical renderings. Um, so if you're, like, backcountry skiing, um, you want to know how steep is, the, is this pitch. Um, and so now you can get higher res data for that. Okay, and that's to come, or that's that's available? on CalTopo now. Oh, CalTopo added the lidar yeah. technology, so their maps are they, better. They added lidar data or data uh, source from lidar, it's so their maps are their maps are better. It's a layer. Okay, good one, Jeff. So I would just put in a plug for CalTopo because every time it comes up, I I just want people to get on there because it's all free, yeah. but you can get a premium version and it's really worth it. And like you said, the guy who does whoever it was that designed that thing has done a brilliant job and it's really worth you know ponying up the $25 or whatever for the premium version good call I forgot his name as well but he just did it it was amazingly useful and just pony up kicking the $25 for premium okay that's good that's good so we're start off a little techie with our gear of the decade are we going to stay techie or do you have some uh, actual physical objects you've been liking well, I think uh, to stay on the tech um, notion, it goes without saying that Strava, I think, may combine the best features of everything we've mentioned so far, CalTopo, et cetera, all in one, because you can create routes, you can socialize it, you can uh, compete against other people, and you can share it really easily. And in terms of the community of people doing FKTs now, it seems like as far as I can tell, a lot of the first time they share what they're doing happens on Strava. So I don't know if CalTopo has the same built-in community online in terms of people sharing. Well, Strava is the social network for athletes. Yeah. So it's a, it's a different deal. CalTopo has dramatically more features. Mm-hmm. But Strava, like you said, connects everybody. It's billions of users. And just be, being able to chase people, see what the, you know, we're, we're capturing the fastest known times, but you always, you also have, 
you know, just the, the leaderboards for any given um, segment, big or small there, then you can, you can chase, try to get on the, the top 10 or, or chase for the, the CR. Um, so I think that's inspired a lot of competition and exploration. Right. Liking Strava is sort of like liking the Beatles, <laughs> but it's legitimate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's there. It's everywhere. I use it. Someone once asked me, uh, what's the difference between fastest known time and Strava? I said, well, that's it's night and day. It's totally different. FKTs, of course, are each one is curated. Each one has been somewhat verified and has been examined to be viable. Even though we get we put a thousand up this year, Peter curated each one. So it's kind of this worldwide bucket list of the best routes. While Strava is just everything anyone has ever done. So you can't really tease out data the same way you can with fastest known time. Okay, what? Uh, what else are you seeing? I think on the on the website front, if we stick stick around there, the um, mountain project, hiking project, trail run project. I think they, the umbrella is like adventure project, right? Um, I think those have done a good job of helping people find routes, um, like specifically trail run project here. If you're if you're when I'm traveling, if I'm going somewhere, I'll look at Strava heat maps and I'll look at trail run project to find what I want to do there. Um, you look at the Strava heat maps. Yeah. Wow. You're the tech guy, Jeff. You should probably explain what that is for non-tech people. Well, Strava keeps track of all these runs, right? And so um, if you want to see where people are running the most, they I think it's in their labs section, or you might have to have premium. I'm not sure. Premium. Um, but you can see a heat map is kind of showing with, with color um, where... Uh, I'm gesturing with my hands here. That's not working. Where, where, uh, where people have run the most. So you can so you can see the the popular areas to to run the most traveled. Right. In fact, Strava gets a fair amount of their income from that. They have they, Strava sells premium memberships, which quick download here on the side isn't doing that well. Not that many people as they wanted have signed up for premium. So they actually make a fair amount of their money on the heat source heat mapping so they sell to open street and so they actually sell industrial and commercial applications of their massive data set but uh, you also called out uh, hiking project etc quick note that's owned by rei which is why it got developed so well mountain project was started here in boulder by a fellow named mike and then he sold out to rei and they added on trail run project hiking project and mountain biking project and i've used those as well you can be somewhere and i was in moab last may i was lost wasn't sure where i was oh wait whipped out the phone there's my little blinking blue dot and they're a few hundred meters away oh there's the trail it's over there so good call jeff well i would um one thing that's not of this decade but maybe two decades is led flashlights so you know i was just thinking back to when we had incandescent flashlights and I remember somebody, some company came out with a, a two C-cell flashlight that would last for five hours, and that was amazing. And I mean, people don't even know what C-cells are anymore, but they were gigantic batteries, and you had to carry a bunch of them if you wanted to run overnight. And of course, with an incandescent light, there was always the possibility of the bulb burning out. So you had to carry an extra bulb. So when LEDs came out, which is really about 20 years ago, LED flashlights, but they've really gotten so much better in the last 
decade. Um, that was just a gigantic game changer. Well, I could basically identify the year because in 1999, when you and I did the FKT on the Colorado Trail, we were indeed using <laughs> giant incandescent flashlights, and you had to carry a pound of batteries just to get through the night. It was bizarre, and we were really into these batteries. And then the next year, when we did the FKT on the John Muir Trail, 2000, so that was the, that was the tipping point, 1999 to 2000, we had these dorky LEDs, and they were like, it was a full-size flashlight, and I think it had the same luminosity as, as a keychain light. <laughs> but it was, um, they were green because the brightest LEDs were, at that time, were green. So uh, maybe if we're talking about the last decade, it would be the advent of bright white uh, LEDs. But the green ones were cool. And um, it was called the Light Wave 2000. <laughs> wow. Peter, well done. <laughs> I still have Let's get them as a sponsor. I, <laughs> I still have mine. I don't know if the company exists, but I still have the green one. Stop. Yeah. yeah. No, we got the, Oh, the LEDs will last forever. We got the green ones because they're, they're better for your eyes. You don't, it's like in a dark room. And, and the green LEDs were brighter. Right. Right. Okay, well, that's, that's good. We're back two decades. Well, I'm going to, on the same tactic, look, we haven't even gotten to the hard goods yet. Maybe we won't. Maybe that's not a real mm -hmm. issue. But I, I have to call out the smartphone. I mean, it's, it's in our, it's so omnipresent, it's almost you can't notice it. But as Peter noted, we go back pre-smartphone days here, and it was a totally different deal. And now the smartphone has anything you want to do. It's your camera, it's your beacon, it's your navigation, it's whatever you want. So the smartphone really changed the game. Nobody goes out without a smartphone anymore. But they actually shouldn't. Okay. Yeah, well, so um, I could comment on that too because there's a downside to that, which of course is that trouble. You know, you download somebody's GPX track and put it on your phone and start following it, and bad things can happen. Um, and especially bad things can happen if your phone dies, the battery dies or whatnot. So, um, you know, some of these technology things are, are great and super useful, but they also invite um, trouble in certain instances. They right. can. They can. Well, and Sorry to interrupt, but it seems like it's a rare occasion when someone purely relies on simply a smartphone because, like we've really advocated for, you want to have multiple sources of verification. And so a lot of times you've got a watch on top of your phone, on top of maybe someone else, yeah, a tracker and, and a Garmin or whatever. So I could see the limitations. At the same time, maybe it's better suited for shorter FKTs or uh, more social FKTs. Hmm, that's interesting. And Peter made an interesting note because we have seen people following GPX tracks in their phone and make errors. Yeah. You get in the canyons, the signal starts bouncing. And I, I remember a particular instance, which we're not going to describe here, but the navigation wasn't that bad. And they blew the navigation because they're looking at their phone instead of at the land. I think also in a previous ep episode with uh, Kyle and Kyle Richardson and... Uh, Bill Wright, someone was saying, uh, just because you have the GPX doesn't mean you can do the route. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so it's another sort of double-edged sword. Yeah, it's kind of. I think this one sort of straddles the best and worst of the decade because it has a lot of drawbacks. 
at the same time as benefits and ubiquity, like you said. <laughs> That's funny. Just because you can see the GPX track doesn't mean you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. People are going out there because they've, oh, I know, I know the way, but yeah, that's, that's not all there is to it. Okay. Good call. Well, here's a bit of hard goods. And I'm, of course, I was involved with this. When I started, actually for most of my running career, we wore packs. But then starting about eight years ago, we wore vests. And the advent of the lightweight, uh, close-fitting running vest was, was huge. Enable us to carry more gear much more comfortably and access water and other gear up front where you didn't have to take it on and off all the time. And now you don't really think about it. Is running vests are ubiquitous. So if you just got into the sport within the last five years, you may not notice this is something that came up only within this last decade. Peter, I think you're, you're a mountain guy. You kind of, uh, you got something here in the hard goods realm. Well, I, um, yeah, I would say things like uh, micro spikes and lightweight crampons have been huge for me personally. Um, Catula is a company that probably also goes back 20 years, but, um, and they made early on very lightweight crampons that you could strap on your running shoes. And Buzz, you and I used them to go up Mount Rainier and things like that, aluminum crampons that weighed nine ounces per foot, I think. Um, and then more recently, the advent of microspikes, which really sort of expand the range of what somebody can do with very lightweight gear. I use them all the time. Well, we do live in the northern climes here. But you're right. When we go up in the foothills above Boulder, yeah. it's like a microspike commercial. I mean, <laughs> that's what it looks like. They're, they're filming a commercial. You don't, you could see 50 people and 45 of them are wearing Catula microspikes. Game changer. As they should. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you're not wearing it, it's not going to look good. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you see more leftover or dropped microspikes around the trails of Boulder. You could probably create a set every day if you go out running. <laughs> I always find lost ones. Oh, really? So they're everywhere. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, if people you find drop a small them. one, my, my wife <laughs> <Yeah>. lost one. So Southern California listeners, well, no, if you just went up Mount Baldy in the last week, you might have worn Cthulhu microspikes. So this applies to many people. Or if you were at the Grand Canyon right now. You, mm -hmm. If you wanted to go down to the canyon, you'd probably need the spikes to get down the first couple thousand vertical feet. You're right. Okay, we're going to uh, wrap it up here on the gear of the decade. Anything else people... Well, I think I'm peering at your computer buzz, but I have it on my list too. The um, Catadyne Be Free nice. bottle with the built-in mm -hmm. filter has just been, I think, a lot on a lot of people's you know best of the decade or best new gear period, not just for FKTs, but for all athletes in the last few years. That's a good call. So that's the Catadyne Be Free. It's, it's B-E Free. And so you can Google that and look it up. It's just a bottle that's with a screw-on filter. And there's adapters, and the screw-on filter can screw onto different size bottles. But uh, it's sold as one. REI is the easiest place to buy the Be Free, actually. Mm -hmm. And so rather, when again, we were starting off, we had all sorts of complex ways of purifying water. And Katahdin made this pump. The pump weighed about a pound mm -hmm. and took a long time. So the, the Be Free, you just squeeze it through the bottle. Okay. Well, here's, here's an associated thing, which is, before we move on, I can't help but mention this, but at least where we're from, everyone's doing schemo. It's kind of the thing now. It's a nice cross-sport and gravel riding. So I can't help but just call out one of the fun things that a lot of 
mountain desert trail people are doing now is they're schemo, ski mountaineering in the winter and gravel riding, which is just blown up all over the world. So that's kind of a fun thing. Yeah, and tech is behind both those, right? The, the binding and boot technology that for, for schemo and um, just frame changes in uh, gravel bikes have allowed these things to be possible, make them lighter and more adaptable. Right, and in either sport, are you going to get hit by a car? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> okay, so here's an interesting question, guys. What's not gear of the year? I mean, what had hype? What had promise? What were people talking about? And what was just, eh, not a thing? Well, this is controversial, but PEDs? <laughs> right. not, not best of the decade. And I think you, you Peter, and Buzz would have more input on historically what this has been like for fkts but you know it it's all over the olympics all the time it's all over endurance sports all the time forever so is it an fkts um i think all of us would probably discourage it obviously but um if it's there i think that's something that we could say is not gear of the decade (laughs) (laughs) performance enhancing drugs will not win gear of the decade award they will win the Don't Do This Award. Mm-hmm. That's a good call, Craig. Yeah, and, and, and nutrition, I mean, I, I think we probably could have put some nutrition items on gear of the decade because I think that's also become something a lot smaller, easier to, to take on a lot of calories without carrying a lot of weight. Sure. Um, so on the other end of that, uh, on the nutrition side, uh, yeah, we don't really know maybe what's out there and what people are using or not, and uh, so... It's an interesting topic, I think. Well, for me, what's not happening thing is special diets. Again, yeah. this is controversial because a lot of people, we want a special diet. We want the magic bullet. But personally, I'm not seeing that as being a panacea. <clears throat> I think people get into all sorts of different things, which work for them, which is great. There's no criticism. But in terms of changing or moving or improving the sport, eh, I don't think so any special diet is emerged. You weren't in full ketosis when you did the John Muir Trail, just <laughs> running off of your, your body fat, Buzz? I was not, okay. actually. I was <laughs> not a sustainable. No, I, I took, when we did the uh, John Muir Trail and the Colorado Trail, I took Rick Trujillo's advice. You know, because Rick Trujillo had done the Colorado 14ers record with Ricky Denisek twice, actually. And Rick just said, eat, eat, and keep eating. And that's, that's basically it. I think people, I, I don't know, I might disagree with that. Um, I'm not a, a keto proponent, but I think a lot of people have gained um, a lot of benefits from it. And it, maybe fat was part of the gear of the decade. Like people started to realize again that fat, like it's not all carbs. That's not what's going to help fuel you in the long haul. And, you know, carbs are heavier to carry. You got to carry more, or yeah. Carbs are, are heavier if you're, you're carrying stuff. You can carry a little bit of fat, and it's going to go a lot longer way. Um, so, I don't know. I'm, I'm not in ketosis right now, but um, I think it's been important for some people. Well, you got to take three minutes off your marathon PR. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on fat a- adaptation. Oh, you are? Yeah, trying to, trying to get my body. Because you want to prolong the bonk, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, you want to be, if you're, if you're operating at a low enough level, you want to be burning... Um, fat as much as you can so you're not depleting your muscles of glycogen so 
Right. That's an interesting one. I think that's a good clarification, Jeff. Fat, you know, back in the day, margarine was considered a health food, right. which, of course, is one of the worst things you can eat because it's all hydrogenated. Butter is way back in vogue. And, of course, high-quality fats and oils, nuts, etc., are very much in vogue. So that's a, that's, a, that's a good health breakthrough. Anything else was a not happening? Well, specifically in terms of FKTs and reporting FKTs, and um, things like that. I, I could make another controversial statement, which I think that uh, Facebook is the not gear of the decade because it's, um, well, I'm not a Facebook user, and so often people will submit their thing with a trip report on Facebook, and unless the permissions are set in a certain way, I can't even see it. So anything that is proprietary like that if you're reporting an FKT, you need to make it public for people. Um, and the organization of Facebook and the, the way it's done is um, just a gigantic hassle for many people. Wow, that's interesting. Of course, Facebook has many other issues, very controversial, but I can't help but <laughs> mention that it was supposed to be this technology that connected everyone instead of doing the opposite. It's sort of separating everyone, and everyone gets the news that they want to read and they click on, and so it's at a tendency to separate people rather than bring them together. Well, now maybe we're not going to get that uh, multi-million dollar sponsorship from Facebook. <laughs> Dang. Okay, well, yeah, uh, we blew it. Yeah, I think the, the, the other counter to that is that Facebook, particularly for maybe a generation above me, so people that are maybe the later adopters are still using it in a pretty um, pretty decent way in that there's some added benefits of things you can make like communities and that kind of thing where you can basically uh, isolate yourself from the complete algorithmic-based news recommendation hmm. you know, echo chamber. So in some ways, a lot of people, and it's global, so we're a global site. We get people coming from everywhere. And Facebook, <clears throat> like it or not, is global, and um, and people use it all over. So it's it can be used, I think, still in a productive way. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, here's a bit of gear that I think is a big knot. Of course, this is classic. I don't think this is that controversial. Minimalist shoes, mm-hmm. right? We almost forgot about minimalist shoes. I mean, that was quite the thing for a number of years. At one point, the Vibram Five Finger was the number three shoe at a specialty and of course that was the number one shoe for podiatrists <laughs> well there yeah i had a friend who ran the salt lake city marathon wearing vibram five fingers whereas he had trouble walking for the next week but at the same time minimalism taught people how to run so it had this like you said with facebook craig it had this interesting aspect that all everything the shoe companies and i'm just going to say this i don't even think this is controversial everything all the major shoe companies said about their shoes was complete bs none of it not a single word was scientifically verified and most of it was scientifically disputed and unverified from you know pronation control and neutral and all the stories was wrong and so when minimalism came out people learned to feel their feet develop good strides so that was a big help but now, not too many people are using skinny little shoes. I guess it, it helped dispel the the idea of, of you know the heel strike as the normal. You see old jogging videos from I don't know, I don't know. I'm, I don't want to date myself or date other people or me but, especially. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, it, look, it used to you see you saw the runner heel striking and kind of doing this jogging motion, and and people realized that the forefoot has a lot more importance. But we went a little too far with that, right? And a lot of people's arches dropped, and their calves got shredded. And I'm glad to see barefoot running kind of go out the door. Right, right. And one notices this this doesn't pertain to FKTs at all, but the Nike Vaporfly is real. It's the real deal. It's in terms of running, if we're having a running podcast here, that's certainly the gear of the year, if not the decade, because it's been scientifically validated to improve marathon times on road surfaces by 4%. Are we going to see a 4% for trail shoes? Ooh, well, it's, <laughs> that's a throwdown there, Jeff. Uh, so La Sportiva, Scarpa, Hoka, they all got to be listening to your throwdown. I'm sure they're all listening. <laughs> I, I would set the table for uh, Peter on this one, because I, I, you shared it with us internally, but... Um, Trails, uh, trail shoes that have more of an approach style rubber um, open up a lot of possibilities. And you in particular, I think, take advantage of that. Yeah, so now we're back to gear of the decade rather than not gear of the decade. But right. um, yeah, sticky rubber shoes, um, approach shoes that are, that are more like a running shoe. La Sportiva has done a lot in this area, but other brands, I'm sure, as well. Um, yeah, They open up a lot, yeah. I use them all the time. Right, and what Peter's referring to is that rather than a polyurethane, any type of synthetic foam, well, I I should say it's still a synthetic, but it's a synthetic rubber that's specially formulated to be grippy. Mm -hmm. And there's not that's not marketing hype. It actually is much grippier. All climbing shoes have used it for a few decades, and they started putting it on the lugged outsoles of a so-called approach shoe, a term which isn't used that much anymore. You could go on rocks and have much, much better traction, particularly when the train got vertical. But approach shoes typically were, in the old days, were designed by... um climbing shoe companies and so they were tended to be very narrow like climbing shoes and not all that comfortable for long periods for wearing for long periods of time and um, now there's been some kind of marriage more between a running shoe style shoe and and um, that sticky rubber approach shoe correct here's a really good question what's next or what would you want to see that we're not seeing so gear the decade for this next decade what is it? What would you like it to be? Or what is missing? Well, before we go super, well, maybe this is super high tech, but I want to see micro spikes taken to the next level, Wolverine style, where they just come out of your shoes when you need them. You start slipping and, and some, some spikes or blades or whatever, reach, well, not retract, but the opposite of retract. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> track. So there's automatically. So there's a sensor. There's a sensor. So as soon yeah. as there's you start light, losing yeah. friction, and the and and your your spikes come out. Deploy. Yes. Wow. <laughs> wow, Jeff. Just yeah. Maybe we should just kind of take this podcast private. And we should work on this. Work on these ideas. We yeah. can. Well, nobody's up in the sound booth right now because Craig's down here, so we can't edit that out. No, we yeah. can't take it out. This is right. Wow. Sure. Deployable. Sensing micro spikes. Well, I would say another <clears throat> technology that's cu- that's already here, really, but will become more popular and cheap is heads-up display technology. So having all of the tracking information that we've already talked about from different websites, route information, um, uh, pace information, all of these different stats that we're monitoring through Strava or Caltopo or whatever, 
in your glasses or in your sunglasses, whatever it is, or maybe another like visor type of projected onto your retina. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that seems like the most streamlined and it's still, it's people give it a lot of uh, heat currently because the brands who have tried to introduce it have made it really clunky and kind of weird looking. And you, it's kind of like people who wore Bluetooth uh, headsets for phone calls 10 years ago, but I think it's got a lot of opportunity and, um, and it streamlines all these technologies we've already been talking about. Well, Google came out with the first glasses Google Glass. I ever tried. The Google yeah. Glass, I tried that uh, six or seven years ago. And it was, yeah. If you're a tech head, it was interesting. If you weren't, mm, it's a tough look. <laughs> it's a tough <laughs> look. To borrow a buzz That's a tough look. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, Jeff, you're our tech expert. Do you, how, do you see I would agree. Working? I agree with Craig there. I think augmented reality is, is like what the smartphone was, you know, for the previous decade and a half. Um, just being able, you know, we're, we're progressively just ditching more gear um, and going lighter, just, just like people have been doing in FKTs. Um, so being able to see all that information without having to, I mean, smartwatches will, will be good for a few years here, but they're not going to be the, the transformation that uh, heads-up displays would be. And I think, like, yeah, for route finding, being able to... See turn by turn directions um, in in the woods, um, or uh, or for for competition, being able to see your competitor if if you're chasing an FKT, see where they are on the course when you're looking up, you know when maybe they did the route last year. Um, so neat ideas like that, and, and and like Craig was saying, sort of biometrics, getting all that information right up in front of you, um, I think will be pretty. Pretty transformational. The the double edged sword I, I was thinking about for better route finding is that uh, that more people are getting out into the backcountry, and so what are we doing to the backcountry? Um, so you know I, I, that's a that's a, a challenge we'll face. That's a good tempering comment, Jeff. In that uh, we've talked about things that help us, help performance, help our enjoyment, but Jeff made a different comment which is very apropos we also have to be protecting nature while we're doing all these things so that's wow that's a good one okay augmented reality don't trip on that route while you're looking at that little blinking dot (laughs) um oh do you have one i was just thinking you know um in 20 years when people make movies about the 2010s everyone in the in the movie will be walking around staring at their smartphone and that will be considered really freaky and odd and old-fashioned because nobody will be doing that. They'll be seeing whatever they see in their glasses or on their retina. Wow. Okay. A prediction has been made. That's interesting. Well, that's true because people are just, I mean, I've seen people, young people, they're going out on dates and both are looking at their phones. That's a little odd. That could become in a movie 20 years from now. Totally will. Five years. That's from. how you'll know it's about this <laughs> period of time. Era. This era, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, well, shall we? Ra- oh, here's one last thing as we wrap up fastestknowntime.com. That's been uh, us. We've done a really good job here, I think. We've enjoyed it. And the four of us has had a big impact. I think we've improved people's lives, if I may say so myself. Yeah, I think we're uh, excited about inspiring people to, to get out and try these routes and um, push themselves and push each other um, and open up a lot of the, the territory of the world to this kind of um, speed discovery. Yeah, yeah I, I'm 
just reiterate that it's it's super inspiring, I think, to all of us, too, to see where these are coming from and the new places, different continents, Africa, India, country, India. Um, so we're all super inspired and it keeps us excited. Right. We're, we're seeing these FKTs come in. No one else gets to see these, yeah. but we see everyone. And it's like, wow, wow, wow. Really? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, go onto the website because I'm going to type up every suggestion here. It'll be in an article coming out also on Friday when this podcast is released. So you can, unfortunately, there's no, there might be a few hot links, but there's no affiliate program happening here. So we're not getting anything out of this. It's just a fun conversation to help uh, increase our enjoyment and appreciation of the sport. And we'd love to hear what you have to say about what is gear of the decade or gear of the coming decade or gear flops of the last decade. Yeah. Just don't put it on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, don't put it on Facebook. <laughs> Excellent call, Peter. So type in comments on the article what you think was good and not so good. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Thanks Buzz.